Welcome to the Market Maker Podcast, hosted by me, Anthony Chung, where every Friday I talk to a member of the team about what happened in markets this week. From macro themes and single stock news to cryptocurrencies and careers in finance, our aim is simple, to make finance interesting and easy to understand for everyone. So let's get to it. Okay, hello and welcome back to the end of week show where I'll look to summarize some of the key things that have happened in global markets. I am going solo for this episode. So Piers, who is away on holiday at the moment, if you are listening to this, then why are you listening? You're on holiday, take a break. But that aside, I'm going to talk about Apple and Amazon earnings. They've just literally come out. So I want to deconstruct those. One company fell after market, one soared higher so I'll look to explain the reasons there. And then also, you might have clocked earlier this week, lots of sensational headlines in mainstream media about a rating agency downgrading a country, but not just any country, the world's largest economy, the US. And last time that happened back in 2011, that sent shockwaves through financial markets. So how have markets taken it this time? What does it actually even mean? Why have they taken this action? And some other interesting points as well I can highlight on that subject. So let's kick it off and let's talk about Apple first. And from a top level, their earnings per share beat expectations. Revenues were also higher than expected. I guess just to give some context on what does a revenue at a company like Apple, one of the largest companies in the world, look like? Well, in a quarter, they made $81.8 billion, and that was a touch higher than expected. However, that did mean that they posted their third consecutive quarter of annual revenue declines, though. That's the first time that's happened since 2016. That's one of the same things that did put a bit of pressure uh, on the stock price. But I don't think that that's really the key thing here. I think people are missing a bit of a trick. And so let me explain. Sales of the iPhone, Macs, um, iPads were all lower than a year ago. In fact, if you look at iPad revenues, they fell a pretty sizable 20%. However, the number of paid subscriptions managed by Apple is now twice as many as the number of subscribers to Disney+, Plus. Netflix, HBO, and Peloton combined. So while the shares might have dipped in the aftermarket session, uh, the CFO came out and also added a little bit more momentum to that downside move because he said he expects revenue to decline uh, in September. The company is, though, continuing to make an important transition. And I'll explain why. So look, let's face it, the excitement over the iPhone, I think, has been in decline for a long period of time. <laughs> for me, it's uh, an area of huge frustration with, with Apple uh, in terms of the iPhone. Um, innovation has been slow. Competition obviously is increasing. Uh, technologically, uh, I think, away from the operating system, you know, Apple is a second-rate phone comparable to, to many others that are now present. Uh, so sensible then for the company to pivot and broaden the strength of the Apple ecosystem. Uh, And they've been doing this for a long while, but this particular earnings report, I think, was very symbolic. As a reference point, the services division has a profit margin of about 71%. Now, that might seem like a bit of an abstract figure, but if you think about Apple's hardware division, that 71% is almost double that of hardware. So, 
the numbers here associated with this are quite staggering. In the latest quarter, as the number of paying subscribers for its array of digital services crossed 1 billion users worldwide. Now that helped then lift profits for the company from a year ago, even as I've just said, total revenues have declined uh, continuously. And the first time it's happened for several years. So it's kind of the, the mighty rise of the services division. So, you know, one thing I'm, I'm sure we can all, if you're an Apple user, whether it's the headphones, computer, laptop, phone, and I'm sure you'll agree, once you're in that Apple ecosystem, it's incredibly hard to break free. So, yeah, for me, I think short term, yes, the shares have dipped. Don't forget they were at record levels. So context of the recent share appreciation is obviously very important. But I think this just goes to show just what a um, great direction Apple has managed to engineer here in its pivot and continuation of spreading the diversification of um, it, its product kind of mix. So yeah, that's my kind of take with, with Apple. I think it's the services division that I think I'm looking at rather than looking at it over the medium long-term rather than the actual share price reaction and aftermarket. So let's talk about Amazon. Amazon exploded aftermarket. Again, you are talking about one of the largest companies in the world and their shares are up about 7% after market, which is big. Uh, EPS smashed street forecast, came in at 65 cents. Analysts were only expecting half of that. Uh, revenues came in 134.4 billion, well above expectations. Amazon Web Services, AWS, their cloud uh, division exceeded expectations. Advertising beat expectations. In fact, it was Amazon's biggest earnings beat since its report from the fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, and you remember what happened there. That was when we had COVID and everyone was working from home. Saw a huge explosion across their business. Um, but it gets even better for Amazon. So they reported Q2. For Q3, Amazon have come out, and this is how kind of, I guess, confident that they're feeling. They expect sales of between 138 to 143 billion in Q3, or translate that into percentage terms, that's growth of between nine to 13%. Now, Wall Street analysts were only expecting Q3 to come in at around 138 billion. They're saying it's likely to come in and land between 138 to 143 billion. So yeah, incredibly optimistic forecast with those forecast busting numbers is what really underpin things. In terms of the Amazon story, um, I really think it's about kind of costs. And we've obviously seen huge job cuts at Amazon. And digging into the numbers, you can find that operating margins soared to 5.7%, uh, more than double the year ago, and smashing consensus estimates of 3.46%. Uh, AWS profit margins rebounded from their lowest level since 2017. Uh, operating Overall operating expenses climbed by 7%, so up, but that is actually the slowest growth since at least 2017. Sales and marketing costs were up about 6.5%. That's after years of hovering closer to 35%. So again, trimming the fat, if so to speak. Uh, and with job cuts, Amazon's headcount shrunk another 4,000 during the current quarter. So much smaller than some of the previous job cuts that we've had. 
and it's pretty modest decline for a company that employs close to what one and a half million workers but it's the third consecutive quarterly cut so they're just cutting permanently but demand as we know soft landing resilience in the economy in the broader macro perspective consumer still spending at this point you know these are all net positives uh, to this regard so you know the kind of consistent employer reduction uh, hasn't happened at Amazon since the company struggled through the dot-com bust in 2001. So this aggressive trimming back, uh, as Piers and I have talked about many times, in the context of that bigger picture of the surprising resilience on the performance uh, has meant that Amazon's really smashed it in this last quarter. All right, well, look, let's, let's pivot away from earnings and let's talk a little bit about the U.S., downgraded to AA plus from AAA by Fitch ratings. So just going to deconstruct this a little bit and talk about firstly, what was the key driver behind the change? So this is the verbatim rationale in one sentence, if you like, from Fitch. So they said, the rating downgrade of the United States reflects the fiscal deterioration expected over the next three years and repeated down-the-wire debt ceiling negotiations that threaten the government's ability to pay its bills. Um, so context, Fitch's downgrade of the US sovereign follows the cut that we saw from S&P in 2011. Um, none of this is that surprising, and that's why the market reaction has been in such contrast to what we had then. So not only have we become acclimatized to the fact that this isn't the first time this has happened, uh, it happened a long time ago, and also the fiscal situation in the US has changed radically. So it's not a surprise that this has happened. And Fitch had warned the market that this could potentially be the case. I think it was back in May. So just to add a couple of numbers to the mix, uh, the federal deficit hit $1.39 trillion for the first nine months of the current fiscal year. That's up some 170% from the same period the year before. Uh, the US Treasury this week boosted its borrowing forecast for the current quarter to $1 trillion. And that is well above the $733 billion it had predicted uh, in May, when Fitch were already making these warning uh, kind of signs that this action could happen. So it gives legitimacy from a numbers top level perspective why they've taken this. But I guess let's just step back for a second because conscious of the fact that not everyone's completely au fait perhaps on how these rating agencies work. So I guess the first thing is what is the purpose of these ratings anyway? Um, and you know, having agencies like, like Fitch, so the others would be S&P and Moody's, there are others, but those are typically uh, the big three. Uh, their job is to provide an evaluation of how reliable and safe it is to lend money to companies, governments, or other entities by assessing their ability to repay debts and helping investors then, therefore, make more informed decisions about risk and, and so forth. So a AAA rating, you know, by the book, signifies that an entity is considered extremely creditworthy and has a very low risk of defaulting on its debts. Uh, while Fitch says a AA rating is denote expectations of very low default risk, that is de facto a step down from the, quote, lowest expectation of default risk. So the easiest way to kind of think of this is, you know, think of you as an, an individual 
or let's just take the example of your uncle, your uncle Sam, in this case, and, you know, Sam's been borrowing lots of money, but, you know, he's a, he's got a good job. Uh, he's got a good diversity of income. Uh, he's always been a good, a, a good person to service their debt. They borrow, you know, so in, in history, that person's always been very reliable. So you as a lender or as a, someone issuing a lender rating, you're quite happy. You're like, right, you, you get top billing, triple A, you're very reliable. Um, however, the thing that's changed here is that your uncle Sam just keeps borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. Uh, and just like you and I, if we had a credit card and we kept borrowing and borrowing and borrowing, it gets to a point where you think, wow, those numbers are now becoming quite large. And is that still the case? There's another very important political point, which I'll, I'll get to uh, in a moment. So hopefully that kind of makes a bit more sense. And then depending on that quality of this, in this case, Uncle Sam, his friends, let's say, might have different jobs. Uh, they might live in different areas, different countries. And so therefore, their credit worthiness has different levels. And essentially, this is what these credit agencies are doing in a much more sophisticated manner. And they're assigning these ratings from AAA to AA+, AA, AA-, minus, and you kind of go down the ABC, then you get into different investment grade, junk, and, and so on. So yeah, markets here, from a, from a market's perspective, uh, the Fitch giving it a, a AA plus ratings. There's only Moody's that's left now, a AAA rating. Uh, and if you're curious, well, what countries are still AAA? Well, you, you can't look at the UK. We're not. <laughs> but the likes of Germany, uh, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, uh, even Australia is, is AAA at this point. So, yeah, it's it's symbolic for sure. Um, I guess from a, a technical perspective, um, it can mean then that uh, potentially a problem for funds or index trackers with a AAA only mandate, opening up the possibility of forced sales for compliance reasons. But I think for the aforementioned reasons that this really isn't a surprise. We've had lots of prior warnings. There's been very little market reaction. Most major sell-side banks coming out of research they're more concerned about what's happening with interest rates and the idea about peak US rates coming, soft landing US. That's driving the narrative right now, not so much um, the actual fact of the matter of the downgrade. So an interesting point, though, and the thing I want to finish on with this particular story, I was reading the FT and just thinking about some of the other things that have been going on this week. And, you know, even if Washington... So when I say Washington, I mean, like, let's say the HQ of America. So if Washington can theoretically pay its bills and cut its debt, you know, that's what I've just described as someone who's being credit worthy. But even if the US can service these whopping amounts of debt, the point comes is, will they actually do it? Do they want to do it? Um, it doesn't mean that they actually will just because they can uh, or not with 100% probability at least. Um, so the whole idea here is this new ripple of policy risk. And this is the thing I just quickly wanted to comment on. So as every kind of finance student will know, one difference between emerging markets and developed countries is that the former have traditionally been deemed more prone to political risk. 
uh, and developed countries to a lesser extent. So the broader issue here then is that the political, political ecosystem is so polarized that it's hard to imagine Congress taking the sensible steps needed to tackle America's fiscal problems. I mean, you know, timings wise, uh, you know, just so happened that this downgrade happened and also a new indictment against the former US President Donald Trump came about, you know, and if this, you know, legal onslaught knocks Trump out of the 2024 uh, election race, uh, in a way that might enable uh, centrist political forces to prevail, it is possible to imagine a future scenario where sensible bipartisan fiscal policies might emerge in Congress to tackle the debt. But that's not the case. You know, right now, Trump is leading the Republican field by a decent amount. Uh, and the indictments are only energizing his base at this point. So at best, uh, this will ensure that the 2024 race is bitterly polarized, making bipartisan initiatives impossible. And so we just had that debt ceiling risk. They've kicked the can. What is it? The 79th, 80th time they've done that. The can will be kicked again. So while it might seem fair to question some of the economic logic, as like some of the big investment banks have done, or the US Treasury Secretary criticizing Fitch for their move, um, in terms of timing, the rating agency's fears about rising policy risks look you know, pretty spot on. I think it's a really interesting point. You know, this whole idea encapsulated really by this, you know, Washington, even if it can theoretically pay this ever-increasing bill, that's not the point. The point is, can they actually make an agreement in a unified unified way on Congress to do that? Because if they can't, and you keep having these repeated instances of what we've seen in the past, and it does not look like that's going to change anytime soon then we should definitely not be surprised of the US being downgraded and downgraded further. <laughs> I won't go any further than that because that opens up Pandora's box about what that means thereafter. But yeah, look, that's it. Going to wrap up the episode. I uh, hope that was interesting. Any questions at all, feel free to either, if you're on Spotify, use the Q&A function or just connect with me on LinkedIn and drop me a message. Love to hear from the community. Uh, and yeah, have a great weekend. Catch you next time.